Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. And he's our special guest, actor David Morrissey. If you see her, say hello. She might be in Tangier. She left here last early spring. Is living there, I hear. Say for me that I'm all right, though things get kind of slow. She might think that I've forgotten her. Don't tell her. It isn't so. David Morrissey, thank you. We asked you to choose some lyrics from uh, whatever album you liked, and you chose those lyrics from Blood on the Tracks to uh, to start our show. Um, any particular reason? Well, I could have chosen so many, but um, yeah, just because they've been going around in my head recently. Um, uh, I'm here to, today with my son, Gene, and uh, we've been walking around Highgate Woods, and uh, we just start riffing on songs, you know, <laughs> and th- this particular one was the one that we uh, when we come into my head, and then you just keep going. It's interesting that the last line, actually, I've always misread it. it, used, it it's actually, don't tell her it isn't so, whereas I, when I, in my head, I always read it as, but tell her it isn't so, that it's more of a, yeah. a confession where he's saying, you know, keep, keep her ill-informed. But I, um, yeah, I mean, it could have been any one of those songs on that album except one. <laughs> which which we'll get to in a in a in a moment because I want to introduce the audience to uh, to Gene, uh, your son. And um, what's your album of choice when it comes to Dylan? My my favorite Dylan album is Time Out of Mind from 1997, which was very quite late on in his career. So. What exactly about it? I mean, we'll get into this more deeply, but what mm-hmm. exactly about it speaks to you? Because you're 14, is that right? Yes, 14. Um, I just, a lot of it, <laughs> most of it, I love, it's very hard to comp- explain, sorry, I haven't really practiced this. <laughs> no, I guess what's shocking for us is the, is the I, mean, I suppose wisdom shouldn't necessarily equate with age, but there is both age and wisdom in Time Out of Mind. Mm. And, and also, to me, <laughs> it's one of his bleakest Yes, darkest, definitely. Yeah, uh, maybe that appeal. When I was see, when I was fourteen, it was all peace and love, and I was all peace and love, and I cu- I couldn't have listened to it. It would have, uh, I just wouldn't have listened to it. It wouldn't mm. have spoken to me. I yeah, I mean, I enjoy the bleakness of it though. That's great. Uh, well, enjoy is the wrong word, but I I love how it sort of it feels like just the place that he's in, and he's pouring out his emotions especially over sort of these very bluesy chord progressions. Mm. And I yeah. love the blues as a genre. And it sort of has, it's just so much sort of pain that he's expressing it's through these funny lyrics. as well, though. What's that song of him sitting in that cafe? The, like yes. That? Oh, yeah, Highlands. Yeah. Highlands. Yeah. It's hilarious. And it just goes yeah, on. Brilliant. What, what, but it's, <laughs> it's his longest what's song. What's some of the lyrics this on This is one me and Dad were talking about in Highgate Woods yeah. the other day where we were just, yeah, Highlands, where it's 16 minutes long. And it's there's this whole middle section of it where he's sitting in a cafe talking to the waitress, and it's one of the weirdest things. And she's just saying, "You're an artist, draw me." Then, and he's saying, "Oh no, I don't feel like it right now." And then she's saying, "He says I haven't got anything to draw." The best bit is when no, the best bit is when he says, 
she says, draw a picture of me. And he says, sorry, I don't draw pictures from memory. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And she says, I'm standing I'm right in front of you. Right What's the matter with you? I'm right here. Yeah. And then he goes, I haven't got, I haven't got a pencil. Got a and she pulls one out of her hair. I haven't yeah. got a pencil drawing. He gives him a napkin. And then he goes no, through all this. What he says is, I don't know where my pencil is at. Yeah. Which is so brilliant. Kerry and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. And Kerry said, he said, how do you picture the waitress, Luke? You know, Do you imagine the waitress? And I said, I know exactly what she looks like. She looks like the 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 other waitress in uh, in the great um, Martin Scorsese film. Uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Oh, yeah. So there's uh, uh, there's Ellen Bernstein, Bernstein yeah. but it's her friend. Yeah, yeah. Who's there? Who says, "Go, kid, go." You know, just yeah, when she the heroine's him, best friend. Yeah, yeah, and she runs off with Chris Christopherson. She goes, "You go, girl," <laughs> and then and she looks just like that. I think to I'm me, sad. she's see. I see her. See, this is why I ask because yeah. I I see her as. Um, Sort of like Daryl Hannah's mum. Well, that, yeah, uh, you know, I can't remember yeah. what she looks like in Alice's. Yeah. Uh, in Alice's she looks just like Daryl Hannah's mum. <laughs> she does, Karen. <laughs> she either looks like that or she looks like the waitress in Five Easy Pieces when he says, Bring the, me a burger. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think she's, she's sexier than the waitress in Five Easy Pieces. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. Uh, but in fact, you know, it just occurred to me that it's very much like Five Easy Pieces that scene in Highlands. Yeah. You haven't seen Five Easy They get this waitress who's completely fed up with them. Yeah. And what does Jack Nicholson say before he th- throws everything off I the stage? Just... She says, do you want me to hold the chicken? And yeah. He says, yeah, he says, hold it between your I, legs. Yeah, that's right. But I <laughs> yeah. do think there's something about the waitress that's a bit Karen Black. There's, she lo- there's that yeah. sort of, you Yeah, know, there is. But uh, I always want them to get together, just yeah. like you. I'm a kind of a romantic. But my favorite bit in it is when he eventually draws her. Oh yes, and, and then, then she, he just and she says something. he gives it to her and says, and then she goes, "This doesn't look anything like me." And he just goes, "I think you'll find it does." <laughs> and then he leaves. Uh, <laughs> he slides and out then he ends up, up in a, he ends up in a party. He's somewhere. at like a dance thing, and he goes. I'd do anything to trade places with these young dancers yeah, who true. are in love and not yeah. heartbroken, and then the song ends. It's so amazing. It's funny, when I first heard that song, when it came out, I was, you know, I was, I was a fairly new, well, newish Dylan fan. I'd been waiting a long time for a really good album, because we'd had lots of years where he hadn't written It was anything. his first album in eight years. Well, it was the first one. Tony had written a new song. Material. Yeah, he'd yeah. done covers eight, yeah. of traditional folk songs yeah. in between. And I was, I guess I was a bit older than you. I was in my early 20s, and I was thinking, come on. He's, oh, Mercy wasn't a fluke. There's got to be more. <laughs> and it was, you know, years of nothing. Anyway, so that came out, and I, so I very much wanted to invest as much as I could into this album. And I get to Highlands, and I think, yeah, it's just... Long. Um, whereas now, I'm in my 40s. I don't think it's long enough. I, yeah, I wanted yeah. to go on even longer, but I remember when it came out, yeah. I was thinking, oh, I've got to try and like this, but it's just too long. Which brings me to my track on Blood of the oh, Tracks, yeah. Jack of Hearts Stand, yeah. which yeah. is uh, Jack of Hearts. It's yeah. Yeah. just drives me crazy. Yeah. It just goes on. I mean, but it's, it's half the length of, of, of Highlands. Yes, I is. know, but I love Highlands because there's something Americana about Highlands that I love. Yeah. There's something about the diner, the, yeah, the big, the big it's, highway. It's a very that. moody well, scene. Yeah. Whereas I can say it's like a hopper like painting. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Jack Hearts. Just dry, it it just dry. No, I no, no, wait a second. I love it. Do you, do you love it? I love it. Okay, love I think it's like a movie. Much. It's like it's a bit like. Unfortunately, Bob Dylan doesn't make 
good movies. And if they made, <laughs> n- not to my taste, no. Ex- you know, he didn't make Pat Don't Garrett Look Back. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, you know what I mean? Pardon me? Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Oh, no, but I mean, make, make he, he's made a oh, few yeah, movies. I see. Has, has he? Oh, yeah. I don't know about this. He made a movie while he was doing the Rolling Thunder review called Ronaldo and Clara, which is completely unwatchable. And he made another review, which you, I guess, can get on DVD called Masked and Anonymous, which I made the mistake of, it it's, had one performance at the BFI South Bank. And I didn't, I, I took a couple of non-Dylan f- fan friends. Because I said, Bob Dylan's made a movie, Bob Dylan. And everyone was in it. I mean, John Goodman was in it, Jessica Lange, Jeff Bridges. Well, you Jeff would Bridges, if Bob phoned you, know, you off. Yeah. You're not going to say, you know, I'm busy, are you? Uh, yeah, exactly. And it was... Oh, God, it was awful. It was, it was possibly the worst movie I've ever seen. I still haven't watched all of it, and I own it. Oh, it's just right. terrible. Was it, was it a filmed adaptation of Jack of Hearts? No, no, it wasn't. Because so, that would have been Dad's least favorite film. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I think I wouldn't want to see the film of Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts because it would have been a, like a terrible Dylan film. Mm. But to me, all those images that are thrown up about the drilling in the wall and and just mm-hmm. Lily had taken all the dye out of her hair and she's she's gets hanged at the end of it and yeah. and uh, who I think is the Lily, jack of two, hearts? There's two it's, things that there's it. lyrically, which I do agree. There's some great stuff there. There's just something about it as everybody who doesn't like Dylan and you're trying to persuade them <laughs> what's great about Dylan. The jack of hearts is what they're talking about, yes. mm. which is the the harmonica and the voice. Uh, they don't listen to the lyrics. Because there's something else going on that they go, what is that? That is like, you know, a nut under a door or something. It's something, it's a squeaky door sound. Mm, And particularly on Blood on the Tracks, which everything is so sort of mellow and gorgeous. And then in the middle of it, there's this thing that comes through like a black, you know, a one-man band falling down the stairs. I think it's it's a bad song, but I think it's on the wrong album. Because you have all this anguish, you have all this pain, Mm. and suddenly you've got this jaunty, upbeat, very long song. You think, what? doing here I'd, I'd be happy if you're on desire but i don't want you now yeah. i want i want another one yeah, like I you win, in this mood. Yeah, yeah exactly that's right. but that, that's that's the thing about bob isn't it yeah. even with something that is so cohesive as blood on the tracks except for that track yeah, yeah. he just throws a hand grenade into his own album. when you say that's, that's what i like about time and it's just consistent and time out of mind is an album i didn't wasn't overly familiar with I wasn't overly familiar with. Well, you didn't, didn't know, know any I of the songs, apart <laughs> from did, the one that Adele. I knew the Adele with. song, and that was the other thing. Was of oh, course yeah. I heard the Adele song. I thought oh, that's a nice song. And someone said it's Bob Dylan, and I was like, what? And then I listened to the original track, and thought, God, that's she's really done a great piece of work for Dylan because that's a terrible. And then you listen to that song mm. on that album, and you, it's just wonderful in mm. the context of everything else that's on the album. Yeah. It's yeah. just heartbreaking. You believe him when he says, I'd go crawling down the avenue, don't you? You do. You and actually you hear it. it in a way that you think, oh, now I can't listen to the adult thing because this is the real broken voice of a man and you need to have it. You yeah, know? I had yeah. the same experience because I'd heard that song before listening to any other songs on the album and mm. I thought that it was just at a really bad point in his career that everyone sort of tries to forget. And then I sort of was going through all of his albums and I got to that one and I just went oh my god this is so incredible and you believe it more than you do with the Adele one and it yeah. works so well in that album what were I love you, is that, sorry go were on. you saying that it was uh, there's a you know it's obviously I think it's a, a, an album about a heartbreak but you were saying that someone was saying it was about his falling out with God well I yeah I read um, the, the critic Grill Marcus uh-huh. uh, said that one of his students uh, called Amy Vecchione I think if I'm mispronouncing her name and she's listening I do apologise but she was a student at Berkeley when he was teaching in 2000 and she said you know people get hung up on this album being 
about a, a heartbreak or the, the death of a relationship. And she said, to me, it's about the death of his relationship with God. Mm. He, he had this period in the late 70s, early 80s, where he embraced Christianity. And in 97, he feels let down by it all. Um, so I started listening to it again and thinking, you know, know when he I says... No, I'm not sure no, I do. We, it's we very interesting. both listened to the album... In the light of that, and yeah. Well, we individually no. don't buy well, that there either. Isn't, there Maybe is, one or two lines. Yeah. There's yeah. a lyric where he sort of compares his heartbreak to religion in a way. Yeah. So it's sort of like he can't be talking about his religion if he's sort of compared it to yeah. God. And I don't think he'd be that sort of subtle in a way. I think no. if he's going to do an album about that, he'd do an album about I think that. You're right. Well, That's he's true. done. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. done a few. Yeah. Not, actually, they're really interesting. But how great that you both chose an album which is just anguish laid bare. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know what's like a Morrissey household. I've passed it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I just say I've passed it on? I'm so proud of my misery and heartache being passed through the generation. The man himself said, he said, pain sure brings out the best in people, doesn't it? You well, know? I said to you the other day, I said, we talked about it, I was asking why he liked it, and he said, he reminds me, you know, it's like, it's him, and then there's Tom Waits, and I thought, my work here. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. no, my two favorite songwriters. See, I, I, I can't, I've always been, my, my dad, I remember, a, a really specific moment when I was about your age, Gene, and uh, he, I was, I can't remember what I was talking about, but I'm so unlike him. He's, he's very macho, and uh, I'm not, I never have been. And he said, you're so sensitive. And... <laughs> and years later, when Blood on the Tracks came out, and it was exactly the same way that he sings, maybe I'm too sensitive, or else I'm getting soft. And, uh, it was for you, Kevin. It was, yeah, that, but I, I, that's why I always had trouble with Time Out of Mind, until actually you mentioned it, that you were going to bring it onto right. the show. And I, I've listened to it two or three times since then, I've always had trouble with it. I've always had trouble listening to it because, to me, I'm too sensitive. It's it's so bleak. I, I, there are these moments of rays of sun, but um, but listening well, to it, I do appreciate it more now. What he says is at the end. He says the sun is beginning to shine on me, but it's mm. not like the sun that used to be. <laughs> That's as close to optimistic as it gets. Mm. But I, I'm beginning. I've seen more optimism in it actually listening to it. Well, not dark yet. In a, Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, it, the, I, that's the song that I played yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. what I, mean, I think like, oh, I is great so. about that song is yes, it's bleak, it's right there, but it's kind of, it's not, we're not there. And there's, mm. a, you know, he does flirt with that. But then, then he also says that none of his songs are, about, are autobiographical. You know, he says, yeah, that, you know, sure, as sure. much as he can do. Mm. I mean, but he but, says whatever he can say he to get you off his back. You well, know. Blood on the Tracks, is, he says, it's about Chekhov. <laughs> he said yeah, like I've Chekhov. heard that. Yeah. There's a lot yes. of stuff in Chronicles that we can yeah. take with a yeah. bucket of salt, I think. But, That's right. David, can I just go back to, I'm not necessarily the, the absolute beginning, but what what mm. what got you into Dylan? I mean, because I mean, you're not the right so, age to have heard Blood on the Tracks when it came out. No, not at all. Um, you know, I come from a coming from Liverpool. It's a big musical city. Mm. It has a great uh, tradition of music, not just the Beatles, obviously, but you know, all around the city, and a great eclectic uh, tastes, I think, in bands. And Dylan was a hero of everybody's in in the city. You know, they mm. they knew him and. Um, you know, and the Beatles, obviously, you know, when when Lennon says, like, Dylan's Mr. Jones, you know, he, he was somebody that they admired greatly and, and sort of were, were jealous of, I think, lyrically, very yeah. much so. Dylan turned the Beatles onto pop, which oh, is my, my favourite fact about Oh, them right, too. there you go. <laughs> That's well, true. And then, so there was uh, probably quite a lot of other people as well. But, um, 
So there was that. And then I left Liverpool when I was about 16 and I went to live in Wolverhampton. Mm-hmm. And I was working for a theatre company there. And my dad had died when I was 15. And I was going through a bit of a time. And I was living in a bedsit, which was half the size of this room. This is a very small room for those of you on the podcast. <laughs> and I, I was so naive that I didn't know that there were other radio stations apart from Radio 1. So my radio station was just, my radio was just tuned to Radio 1. Mm. And as it got into the evening, you know, post uh, Peel, there was always a little bit of stuff. And they started playing Dylan on this particular radio show. And I just, it was like he was speaking to me in this little bed, you know, because I was broken and I was really blue and I was on my own and away from home. And I started to get into it in a really great way. And then, talking about being turned on to pot, when I first came to London, I lived in the White City Estate just behind um, Loftus Road. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty, again, pretty tough time. It was a really... Uh, you know, we weren't squatting there, but it was pretty horrible conditions. It was just after drama school. I was trying to make my way as an actor. And what we would sit, sit around, me and a couple of mates, and we would sit there smoking, listening to Blood on the Track, listening to Dylan, mm. listening to Joni. And this was in 82, 81, yeah. 82. So we were listening to that. We listened to Crosby, Stills and that. We were listening to that stuff, mm. you know. That was our stuff. And it was... and. People in Liverpool, people are obsessed with Floyd, for example. Mm. You know, so yeah. and and those mm. things were all love. Arthur Lee. I mean, we mm. were listening to that, and the bands that came out of Liverpool at that time, bands like the Pale Fountains, and which went on to be Shaq and Mike Head, who I just adore. I think he's a great, great lyricist and songwriter. The Lars. There was a lot of bands like that that came out that just. And now you look at bands like the Coral. Mm. They are those bands, and they're totally influenced by that type of music, I think. So it was in my head, and certainly in White City when we were sitting around thinking we're never going to get a job, and we'd listen to Joni Mitchell, and we'd listen to Bob Dylan, and mm. that was it, really. But you were listening to uh, albums, right? Yeah, we were listening to them vinyl. Yeah, the vinyl. And yeah. you, or you know, tape, I, actually. I, what we would listen okay. to with tape yeah. as well, yeah. But then it's got sides. Yeah, it's got sides. You, yeah. you might have an auto-reverse if you're really posh, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm interested, Gina, because you grew up in a completely different age. Do you listen to albums all the way through? Yes, absolutely. Then you're this is, um, a bit weird for your age, <laughs> I am. or am I wrong? No. Well, yes, but um, I have a list on my phone of an album to listen to chart and I love listening to classic albums so I listen to an album daily Great. I listen to um, Maggot Brain by Funkadelic today uh-huh. which was very good and so I go there's a website called besteveralbums.com where you, it's just what people make lists of their favourite albums and then they yeah. get put into like a generator and so you can search for the best album of like 1978 or and it will give you like all of them and so they have like an overall album chart, and so I just find bands using that, and so but I. You find them on Spotify, don't you? Yeah. I also find them on Spotify because mm-hmm. they will listen to music on Spotify. Yes, yeah, so I listen to music mm-hmm. on Spotify. Well, and it's, then... it's great that people are still listening to albums because, you know, albums yeah. are a thing. You know, because most people don't they younger people I, listen to yeah. tracks rather than albums. Yeah, definitely, and I feel like it's such a, um, like an experience listening mm. to an album that I feel people don't get that much anymore and I'm always telling people like 
they say, oh, I really like this band, and I tell them, oh, what is the, what's their best album? I'll listen to it when mm. I get home. Mm. And they're like, oh, I don't really know, but I know this one song. Yeah. Or the, all these, like, I listen to their Greatest Hits album or something. And mm. I'm like, you don't get an experience in the same way. Mm. Mm. But then when, you know, people like Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar, who we were talking about, you know, his albums, people are just going crazy. You know, there, there yeah. are there are Cause they, they're such an experience that you almost are forced to yeah. listen to them mm. as albums. And Beyonce doing uh, Lemonade and, the, mm. and the, Beyonce doing Lemonade and the, and then doing a video package with that, which I just thought was phenomenal. I mean, I mm. do think there's a it's a different way of listening. You know, you don't go home and take it out the sleeve and put it on and just mm. tell your mum to shut up while you're listening <laughs> to it. But I do. You know, obviously, most of the young people I know come via Gene and, and you know, his friends. But they are listening to them. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. But speaking of albums, so Blood on the Tracks. Mm-hmm. Why Blood on the Tracks? So just from the off, really, I thought everything about it was speaking to me. Uh, it was an album that my friends loved and brought around, and we would sit there and listen to it. And every song, apart from Lily and Rosemary, was, uh, was just jumped out how old were you and so i would have been i would have been just leaving drama school then so i would have been about 22 but i was listening to it before then when i was in wolverhampton i was 16 Mm. and uh that's when i started to really listen to music i would listen to the radio but mostly i was listening to tapes Mm. and mixtape of course that was the other thing was that people would send that was how i would communicate with my friends back in liverpool or wherever was they would send me mixtapes and Mm. i still have loads of them i have nothing to play them on anymore Mm. but i have tapes you know Mm. and um it's it was just a really wonderful way to communicate and and the making of a mixtape i know that people like nick hornby have talked about this a lot but that the, the sort of real sensitivity and nervousness of putting it in an envelope and sending it to someone, particularly someone of the opposite sex, and mm, thinking, mm, I'm really mm. showing my ass. I'm really, you yeah. know, there's something about this that is very exposing. Mm. And I love I loved that, that free son of going, I hope she likes it. And have I put this following that? And is that going to be okay? And also, the most important thing, is she getting the secret message yeah, that yeah. I've put? Yes. <laughs> I remember when, I, when my wife and I first got together, I made her mixtapes and... But at one point, she said to me, um, you really listen to the lyrics, don't you? I said, yeah. And, I mean, she does, we love a lot of, we've got a lot of music in common. Mm-hmm. But it, it was almost like it was a new concept for her. She listens to the the music. Mm. And she was kind of... Did you have to say, go back and listen to all my secrets? Well, yeah, yeah. Like, a lot I of time it did, this. yeah. Yeah, I'd spent all the time... Well, sleeve making, notes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember that. I mean, and again, I'm too... Um, younger than this so you know don't think I was born when the uh, Sergeant Pepper came out but my brother had Sergeant Pepper and to find the lyrics written on this mm-hmm. and that was just unbelievable the first album I think ever to print yeah, it was yeah. just yeah. unbelievable to be yeah. able to read She's Leaving Home mm. and read it and think this is a story I think that's that's the other thing about Dylan for me as an actor mm. is story you know and Dylan Van Morrison Tom Waits the people that we love mm. It's uh, Joni Mitchell. Mm. They're stories. They are all, you know, you sit there and you think, God, this is taking me on a journey, not just by uh, each track, but each album is mm. such uh, a chapter in a life, you yeah. know, and I, I, I love that. I love that. And, the, you know, I'm very all about the lyrics, really. You know? mm. Have you ever seen him live? I've never seen him live. Do you no. want to? Probably not now. Yeah. I mean, a couple of friends of mine went to see him in Finsbury Park a couple of years ago who are just so 
you know, obsessed with Dylan. And yeah. even they were a bit like, mm, it was just, it was a bit tough, you know. I guess I would like to go, uh, you know, I would like to go in some, in just to say I'd seen him. Mm. I mean, I recently went to see The Stones for the first time. Yeah. Which was an experience I loved. Yeah, I saw them this summer as well. It yeah, at Twickenham. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, amazing, wasn't yeah, it? Just, and I, well, not just the fact that, you know, there they are, brilliant. But, you know, Jagger's 74, running around like a 16-year-old. And I thought, great, yeah. great. I mean, I know he's had a lot of help, but I was. this is great. Yeah, no, he just, puts on a show, yeah. they, they all do. Whereas Dylan's band, um, they stand at the end mm. and they don't bow. Oh, wow. They don't say thank you. They just stand there waiting. They probably can't to get carted <laughs> off. <laughs> well, we went to see Roger Waters, didn't we? Yes. And oh, it wow. was just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and he was he must be 74. Yeah, yeah. 74. And he was running around and really, and that was a great show in Hyde Park. Yeah, would you, um, speaking of seeing them, would you, how would you feel about meeting him, either one of you? I'd love to meet him. I mean, I would. I mean, I'd love to just say I've met him. And it was, I mean, I know um, I did a play a couple of years ago with Johnny Flynn, who's a great singer-songwriter in mm -hmm. his own right, and a mm -hmm. wonderful actor. And he was in Jerusalem with Mark Rylance, and they heard that Dylan was coming over, so they invited him to the show. And the show was sold out. And they didn't think they'd ever hear from him. And then his manager said Bob would like to come. So they wow. had to, but he'd have to, he needs a box. So they found out who was in the box on the night. And Mark and Johnny personally wrote to this person and said, we'd like to buy you out, we'll buy your box off you, and we'll promise you and we'll get you somewhere else. And da -da -da. But we need your box for that night. And they agreed, thankfully. And Bob came and he sat there. And I think Mark and Johnny were sort of doing the whole show, <laughs> sort of denying anybody else was in the audience. Yeah. And then he came backstage and, and uh, Johnny said he was lovely, but he didn't, he wasn't, you know, you know, if he's not going to turn up to get his Nobel Prize, he's not going to, you know, he did, he's, it's so about himself. But he was very gracious, of course, yeah. but they were so jacked for meeting him. And I would love to meet him, yeah. I mean, just to say you have, really. That is fascinating, and because uh, there are a lot of actors that quite, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of actors that quite like him. I don't know if you feel this, but I've in in a few years of acting, I, there's always someone on a job who's a Dylan fan. Always, and, yeah, yeah. Well, it's you, or it's you know, and and there's a kind of me and Mickey Feast, you and Mickey Feast, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and and there's a kind of when you're talking to someone like Mickey Feast, and there's, you get the sense of this this community. Oh, you should talk to so and so. He's it's a generational yeah, as well. Right. Mickey's a you know a generation older than me, mm. and that Dylan for him, I can see means something very different to him. Yeah. It's a there's a coming of age around him. There's something about him that he was there for yeah. you at your seminal times. Yeah. You know, he was in the background of of your life, really, and your life. And 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 he was your age. Mm. You know, he was a man. You saw him. You know, the other thing we talk about, which we laugh about, Gene and I, is in. Um, the movie was it don't look back or whatever it is uh, and he's just sitting there, he's so bored and this guy says uh, this photographer says um, could you uh, could you put your glasses in your mouth and then he's like what he says, put, put your glasses in your mouth and he goes put them in he says, suck, suck your glasses yeah. and then he did what did Dylan say he, says, he just he takes the glasses and like shoves them in the interviewer's face and goes yeah. do you want to suck my glasses yeah. <laughs> do you want to suck my glasses and it's like it's so this, an insight into how bizarre his life was mm. It's, I did meet Donovan, which was funny. Oh, and I was yeah. so yes. once, when, when, like at what in Cannes? No, recently. Recently, recently yeah. Because yeah. I'm in the show Britannia, and he does. Uh, they uh, they do Hurdy Gurdy Man as the theme tune, so he came out, mm. and I I didn't, but I so wanted to ask him about that that 
that bit in that, when they're in the party. Yeah, and Dylan oh, God, plays, yeah. and he Donovan plays, that's it, and Dylan goes, "Hey, that's really good," and yeah. then takes the gun and plays "Tangled Up in Blue," <laughs> and you can just see Donovan going, "Oh," and then you can hear him swallowing practically. Yeah. But he's a lovely man, Donovan. I have to say. But I mean, and at the end when he says they weren't, they weren't shouting for Donovan. It's like, oh, it's yeah. excruciating. Yeah. And my other favourite moment is that is the Alan Price moment when he's looking for a pianist and Alan Price comes in and they've got this Steinbeck piano. Yeah. yeah. And Price has got a bottle of Newcastle That's Brown. Right. Oh, and he just, just opens yeah. it on the side <laughs> yeah, of this yeah. Steinbeck, <laughs> and you can see you can see Dylan going. The hell is this? Yeah. And then he sits down and starts playing, and Dylan goes, "Oh, great, we'll be all right." Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. brilliant. He was very, very drunk, Alan Price, th- through the entire film. Every scene, totally. he's just legless. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But no, it's it's fantastic. Great. But it's an album. But you know, Blood on the Tracks for me is. But did it come at a point? Because I know, just for me, when it came out, um, I had just ended my uh, first major relationship, like the woman I was with since I was 19 to maybe 22. It came out when I was about 22 right. or 23. And uh, it just came out. It was the new Dylan album. I put it on. Instantly, I was a wreck. I was just yeah. like, my relationship had just ended. And I, I, I wept loudly. I was living by myself yeah. throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Um, and, I, at and that time, it was like for that me, for years. Like, yeah. I couldn't listen to it yeah. for years. Oh, I, I would always like it. was like a wobbly tooth for me. I just couldn't yeah. stop t- sticking my tongue no, in me, there. Yeah. You know? As I listened to all the. And the other thing for me was like my major relationship would break down every three weeks. You know, I would have a new. Re- I was constantly heartbroken. Mm. Uh, because I was, and slightly because I was heartbroken in my life. I was looking for people to solve this deep sorrow I had, which was parental and, you know, mm-hmm. like the death of my parent and all that stuff. I was lo- constantly looking for someone to fix that for me mm. and then, you know, not wanting them to fix it. And I was always in a state of heartbreak and heartache. And so I was tr- attracted to that music. Mm. I, I really was, you know, the Van Morrison stuff is very big for me and Joni and mm. all that. And, and the modern music of that time, that mm. guy really kicked in as well. But Dylan particularly was something that I just thought, yes, this is this is my tune, and um, that album particularly, you know. And uh, you're a big girl now, mm. all that, you know. Just, God, just everything about it. it was just, and then this, <laughs> Lily and Rosemary Jacobati come out, <laughs> and I go, no, I want to stay in this mood. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly yeah. what you were saying. It's like it is a great. It probably is a great. Uh, track on its own but i want to stay in this mood i want to wallow have you let me wallow bob i'm I'm going to have a moment of of geekiness at my own expense here but have you you know that with blood on the tracks he recorded it in in two chunks so he did he did it in new york and then he did in minnesota and for me i wish he just released the new york stuff how why do you how can you know that it sounds i've heard it i've I've got bootlegs yes i've made you a cd i'm gonna give it to you after we finish um it's and honestly, if you hear Lily Rosemary of the Jack of Hearts done like that, you might think differently, you might not. But but it's not like a Phil Spector thing. These, no. This is his decision, isn't it? It's not like... Oh, yeah, no, he, he changed no. his mind after... He uh, played it to his brother, yeah. uh, David Zimmerman. Yeah. That's, and, this is the original one which you haven't heard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he recorded it in basically three days in September 74 and played it to his brother. And his brother said, yeah, you might want to mix it up a bit. 
you know, it's a bit, bit samey, a bit bleak. I know some musicians in Minnesota, and Bob went, yeah, great, let's do it after Christmas. So, But this Bob is notorious for not being told by anybody I know, to do. I well, know. Well, them brothers, you don't want to get the tune. But he, did, but he did the same thing with John Wesley Harding, and, and he suggested to Robbie Robertson and Garth Hudson, do you want to sweeten up these tracks a bit? And they said, no, you want to leave this the way it is. And I just wish David Zimmerman had said the same yeah. thing, because the New York blood on the tracks, for me, is... The greatest thing he's ever done. Oh, Can you imagine John Wesley Harding with all of these like massive instruments. Can you just? And it's be, so it's so spare. And that's, it's glorious, I've got a, it? I've got a question for you that's been nagging me, Gene. Okay. So, what do you make of uh, this? I don't know if you've been in love or if you are in love. What do you make of love via certainly via Bob Dylan? I mean, it's almost like he paints such a clear picture that maybe it's sort of I don't have needed to experience it myself because he, <laughs> he, he go, delves so deep into heartbreak in that way that it's almost... It doesn't put you off? No, definitely not. Because I, I love the fact that it's sort of... I love when it's so personal, you know. Mm. It's sort of... You can tell if somebody has, you know, written a heartbreak song because their producers told them that they want, like, a hit or something... Mm. And when they've really actually poured their soul out into the music, that because that's how they get through. Well, so you're only ever getting his take on it, aren't you? I mean, what's that great Joan Baez song about him? Diamonds, Diamonds and Rust. Diamonds and Rust. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, so you know, I'm sure everybody in that relation, every other woman in those relations, Sarah, who he wrote Blood on the Tracks, you know, they'd have their own version mm. of it. And I think, like any great artist. He's mining the depths of that to get the maximum pain or mm. lyrical sort of uh, wonderfulness out of everything, you know. Um, not that you should take any of it with a pinch of salt, but he is he is going to places because he knows that that's uh, his well of creativity, really, mm. and, and that's what. Yeah, he's I mean, Blood on the Tracks was a. It was a thing he put out there for people to hear and buy, and yeah. mm. he didn't think it was good enough, you know, mm-hmm. for, and his brother said... I mean, I do think he's got a strange... You know, even people with the most enormous egos, talent, and even genius uh, have this soft spot inside them. Oh, totally. and, and Dylan is mm. certainly no... And he's... Cause he's but they left, have to have that. Yeah. And they, I mean, I think that's the dichotomy you're always doing as an artist. The strange thing, and I always say this to young actors, is that you're doing two things which are total paradox. Is you have to grow a thick skin and you have to always be open. And they don't, you know, that's the thing. Because people will say things about you which are so personal mm. and so horrible that you've got to slightly try and protect yourself against it. But you also have to be open all the time in order to create and, and listen and hear, mm. you know, what's going on in your life and be expressive. So you're fi- that fight all the time. And people like Dylan, I think, are always having that fight. That's mm. why that press conference is so funny. Because here he is, and you can see him going, I'm in this mad world. And, you know, for people like Dylan, Presley, you know, at least the, at least the Beatles had each other. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. always did. And yeah. all those bands had each other. But yeah. when you're a single artist like them, you have to rely on yourself. Mm. And um, there's a film called I did called Stoned about the, the, the Rolling Stones. And I played a character in it called Tom Keylock. And Tom Keylock was the, their chauffeur. He was particularly Keith Richards' chauffeur. And on that tour, when Dylan came over, 
Dylan used their Bentley, and Tom was his was his uh, yeah. uh, was his um, driver. Yeah, yeah, his driver. He's the guy with the big sort of Michael Clayne glasses. And I met Tom a lot, and he had great stories. And he said there was this real battle between Keith Richards and and because Keith was jealous, and that whole argument they had about where the, the title Rolling Stones came from, and oh, Dylan yeah. was that, and it yeah. was like this real. They would have right. real arguments because their ego was there yeah, as well. Yeah. But then they have this great sensitivity, and it is always that battle. Didn't didn't Dylan say to Keith Richards or Jagger, I forget which, or both, um, you owe me. You, you couldn't you couldn't have written Desolation Row, but I could have written Satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. And Jagger always said, "Yeah, that's true, but could he sing it?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's that thing about uh, when he played. I can't remember what album it was. Maybe it was Blood on the Tracks, and he played it to his mates. He played it to Crosby, Stills and Nash, and and uh, Neil Young and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he left the room and Stephen still turned around and said, well, he's a great lyricist, but he's no musician. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you think, God, are you so, you know, and that's amongst your friends. I know. Yeah. I know, really. But that's great. Does Dylan have, I, I, I was, I looked, even though I know you, David, I, I looked up something on the internet and you'd chosen a bunch of soul records on, yeah, on yeah. some, uh, 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 think, for Ace Records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, does Dylan have soul? Yes, he does. And how does it sort of manifest itself? Because it manifests himself in folk, I think, and folk has soul. I mean, you have the soul that is, you know, that that we think of as as a genre, but what it comes out. I mean, I do think he experiments with lots of different uh, genres in his music. But he really does have soul. I think, you know, I mean, you don't think of yourself dancing around to Dylan, but you can, you know, yeah. I think, you know, modern times, I mean, modern yeah. times, God, you're really dancing around to that. Yeah. I know there's a lot of covers on that, but God, I think the Traveling Wilbley stuff, you know, he's in oh, yeah, that, you know, he's sure. doing a lot yeah. of stuff with Definitely. that. Yeah. But also I love, you know, I love the fact that he takes himself historically very seriously. He takes where he comes in that chain. Mm-hmm. All that stuff of going and sitting at the bedside of Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. All that stuff of seeing himself as a, as a, as a carrying the baton of American folk. He takes that really seriously. Yeah. And that's why everybody was so, you know, Seeger and everybody was so outraged when... Uh, he went electric yeah. because they felt he he was, but he had to, you know, all those things he had to do. He had to move on. But they never criticised Muddy Waters for doing the same thing, did they? It's no, crazy. but you know, but he was, was within the framework. Of it. A lot of people yeah. say that they just couldn't hear him. You well, know, that's, that, that's, that's of, what Pete Seeger said. Pete Seeger but said the people. I kind of believe that. On, on, I on do one as level. well, actually. I think you know. when people said that Seeger was like turning his nose up at it, and Seeger was saying it was just hurting my ears, mm. he thought actually probably it was. We're, you know, we're so used to the sound we get now, but. On those old barrel, you know, wagons in the middle of America at yeah, that time. Really yeah, bad was, sound, you know, bad, really bad. Well, I know someone who saw the the Liverpool gig in '66. So what, May '66? The Odeon Liverpool, yeah. and he says it's all very well listening to this box set. It sounds fantastic, but people were walking out because you couldn't hear a yeah. thing. Yeah. It was just yeah. noisy yeah. and it was irritating. Yeah, you know, and we come to hear Dylan and we couldn't hear a thing. Yeah. That says a lot about the Empire sound system. <laughs> They've fixed it since then, everybody. They've fixed it since then. Well, we should, uh, we should wind up soon. Mm-hmm. But um, is, there, is there anything else you, you'd like to say about Dylan Jean? For, well, I did mean to ask you one last thing. Okay. Are any of your friends into Dylan? Anybody mm. your age into Dylan um, that you know? I mean, I don't have friends that are sort of into music in the way that I am. I have mm. one friend who's really in the music in the same way, and he also listens to, like, tons of albums, mm. like, historic albums. And he um, he he has listened to all, like, the major Dylan albums, 
and he can sort of respect them on that way, but he's sort of doesn't like them as much so I, not really that many people my age we always sort of argue about what the best Dylan album is because he so all, does everybody I mean that's yeah. the thing and that, he, he always says that Blonde on Blonde is the best which is an album that I've always had trouble with and really? don't really like oh. that much so we always sort of we that's an often one of the many things about music that we're constantly arguing about it's that and what's the best Led Zeppelin album is yeah. the two things that we both argue about constantly these conversations will never get boring yeah, at no. least not for the people that have them yeah <laughs> now we still but haven't the, had our big uh, together through life argument yeah. because we've been putting it off well, but A because like it's it, going to be a big argument and B because it'll be really dull <laughs> <laughs> like the album and where do you stand Just, I'm also interested where do you stand on his country stuff where do you stand on Nashville Skyline um, well, Nashville Skylines, it's, um, I don't know, I prefer the original of Girl from the North Country to mm-hmm. the one with Johnny Cash. It's sort of, I mean, it's only like 26 minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's sort of, it never really struck anything with me, that particular album. To me, it's that's the other side of love. Like, there's he's got his disappointment in love, mm-hmm. uh, Time Out of Mind, and, and mm-hmm. everything since then, or before then. But that actually is about the good side of love. To me, I quoted it at our, at our wedding. I, I, yeah. um, I read some lyrics from it and didn't say it was from Bob Dylan. Everybody, I said it was from a, a, a Midwestern mystical poet. And people <laughs> said, uh, people came up to me and said, where can I get his stuff? I, I read To Be Alone With You. So simple. Mm. So beautiful and, and, and pure and clean and mm. hopeful. An impure um, Dylan um, character, some of those songs that he did on Nashville Skyline, which are, as you say, pure, you know, unfettered, innocent love. You know, a few years later on the tour, just after Blood on the Tracks, he did things like I Threw It All Away and Lay, Lady, Lay. And, you know, seven years earlier it had been Lay Across My Big Brass Bed mm. and then it was Forget This Dance, Let's Go Upstairs, yeah, Let's yeah. Take a Chance, Who Really Cares? And he'd taken real joy in taking these blissfully lovely songs <laughs> And, and ripping them apart yeah. in yeah. a way that he does all the time. And you can see his influence now. I mean, I see him people like Jake, Jake Bug and stuff like that and The Tallest Man on Earth. You know, you see that singer-songwriter standing there, great lyrics. You see it right now. I think there's a real resurgence of that. Mm. I think. So, David and Gene. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank joy. you very Thank much. You Thank you. Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan is recorded in the Babylon Suite at VoiceOver Soho Studios. Engineered by John Green and produced by Peter Morris. We're on Twitter at IsItRollingPod. Music is by Sam Hare. If we never meet again, baby, remember me. How my lone guitar played sweet for you that old-time melody. And the harmonica around my neck, I blew it for you free. No one else could play that tune. You knew it was up to me. (laughs) 